0: As the youth pastor in me roars up and says, how many of you have invited your friends to church like our teenagers have and impacted their lives? But do you, have you ever heard a really good storyteller? Somebody who tells amazing stories and you could just listen to that person forever. You could just sit and listen to them and listen to their stories and just soak it all in. That's what Jesus did. Jesus spoke frequently through parables. And a lot of times we think of his parables and we think they really are stories that he told. He took everyday things that were around him. When he was with people who were farming, he used farming examples. When he, used, when he was with people who would be cooking, he used yeast as an example. When he was with people who were carpenters, he used sawdust in a plank as an example. Whatever he was in the midst of, he took that and built it into the kingdom of God is like. And because his desire was for us to know what is the kingdom of God. And he had that desire because he wants us to be there. He didn't want us just to know about a place that we can't go to. He wanted us to know about a place that he's inviting us to be at. But have you ever thought about his vantage point? When he was telling these parables, when he was telling these stories, he did it in a way and in a place so that it was accessible to everybody. Jesus was certainly qualified enough, and he certainly could have, propped himself in the middle of the synagogue and said, Come to me, and I will teach your men, and your men can go out and teach you in turn what I've told you. But that is not what he did. Jesus sat on a hillside and talked to the people who were there. When there were too many people there, he moved into a boat so that everybody could see him and hear him. And he did that so people like me and people like you could get close and hear his story firsthand. He wanted the gospel experience to be something that you heard straight from him, and he wanted it to be for everybody. He didn't just go to a specific place where only a few people would be invited to. He wanted it to be something for all and when he did that and when he when he was up close and personal with these people and when he sat down in front of them and when he taught them something happened to the gospel story something happened to that statement that starts out and the kingdom of heaven is like it came to life because it was more than words on a page, it was more than words in his mouth. Because of the examples that he used and because of the pictures that he created with his language and because he made it so that everybody could understand it, it became alive. It became something that they wanted to be a part of. And so when we we've been looking at parables for the last 5 weeks, And so during this last five weeks, one of the things that has been resonating with me is that Jesus did this so that we could all participate. And his audience, I'm sure, was very diverse. I'm sure that there were not just a group of men or a group of women or a group of any one thing. It was everybody. And our women's study this week, we, we looked at the first church that happened to, be, to come about in Europe, happened in Philippi. And when we looked at how that church came about, that church was started with a woman named Lydia, who was a businesswoman, and a slave girl who had been demon-possessed and had been a fortune-teller making money for her owners, and <coughs> excuse me, a Roman soldier. There is not a more diverse lot of people than that that you can find. A businesswoman, a slave, and a Roman all together. And they were the church. And so I really think that sometimes we need to take a look at what our church looks like and remember that church is not just supposed to be a group of people that are all like us. It's more than that. And the gospel is designed... So that we can all receive it, and Jesus told it so that everybody, from the businesswoman to the slave, could understand it. Um, the last five weeks, like I said, we've been looking at parables. The first parable we looked at were the two men who were praying in the synagogue. One was a Pharisee, and one was a tax collector, and one was praying, "God, thank you that I'm not like him," and the other one was was humbling himself before the Lord. And so we were reminded by Jesus's words that said. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And he showed us the kind of attitude that we're supposed to approach with. And then the next week we looked at a great feast in Luke chapter 14. Where Jesus told about a feast where there were a ton of people who were invited. And some of those people who were invited, they had great excuses for not coming. But the bottom line is they didn't come. And so... There were repercussions for them not coming. And unless we make time to accept the invitation that Jesus has put in front of us, we're going to miss out on that feast as well. And then the next week, Josh reminded us about lost things. and, And he did a great job of telling us that Jesus sought out those things that were lost. And guess what? You and I were once lost. And maybe today we are lost. But Jesus sought out that lost the lost and when it was recovered all of heaven rejoiced not just jesus but all of heaven rejoiced because the lost had been found and then the next week we looked at luke chapter 20 where there were wicked tenants and the pharisees were given a very vivid reminder that rejecting jesus comes at a cost there is a cost um the stone that the builders rejected had become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And anyone who on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately. Because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. They were afraid. And so the word of God says that if you reject Jesus, there is a cost. And it is a very great cost. And then last week, of course, we looked in, in the 13th chapter of Matthew. And we skipped one parable and went to the second parable. And that parable was about weeds and seeds. How they were planted together. In the, and for some strange reason, the farmer just let them grow right on up together. And he was asked, the servants asked him. Matthew 13 tells us the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because if you pull the weeds you might get the wheat as well. So let them both grow. And at the harvest, I will tell the harvesters first, collect the weeds, tie them in bundles and burn them, and then gather the wheat and put it in my barn. And so you see, this comes as a result of that seed being spread and then other seed being planted right among it. Sometimes the wind brings it in. Sometimes we don't know where the weeds come from. But... We do know that they come right up. And so when we see that happening in our world today, we see righteous people and evil people growing right up next to each other, right? We see it happening all the time. If you, if you haven't seen it, open your newspaper today. It's there. Turn on the news. It's there. Turn on, look out your front window. It's probably there too. And if you're anything like I am, I am so tempted sometimes to go back to the book of Jeremiah in chapter 12 and verse 1 where it says, Lord, why do the wicked prosper Why do the treacherous survive? Sometimes as Christians, it's hard to understand this parable where they're both allowed to flourish. The evil and the good flourish at the same time. Sometimes the cancer cells spread throughout your entire body and destroy the good cells. Sometimes the drugs in our culture destroy our youth and the drug dealers become prosperous. Sometimes... We just want to stop and ask, Lord, did you sow any good seed in your field? Just like was asked to the farmer. And at the end of the parable, we don't get get an answer to that question. The only answer we get from that parable is that we wait until the harvest and the harvester sorts it out. So we learn that it's not really our business to know about the, the weeds. We just have to be concerned with us. And today we're going to look at one more parable. And this parable happens actually right before the weeds and the seed. And it's a very familiar parable to both of us. We've learned it from the time we were a little bitty until today. And it is the parable of the farmer and his seeds. So if I can get them to hit the video... We're gonna have a real quick recap a of parable this parable. of the Farmer
1: and the Seeds. Let's all sit and listen to a story Jesus told. Everyone gather round, girl, boy, young, and old.
0: Okay, listen to this.
1: A farmer went out to plant some seeds all around his land. With one seed, two seeds, three, and four. He plants as many as he can. On a path where people walked was where some seed would fall, but it got stepped on and birds came and ate it all. The farmer planted more seeds on rocky, shallow ground. They grew fast with shallow roots, but fell when the sun came around. Some seed fell among the thorns that were prickly and spiky to touch. The plants tried to grow, but because of the thorns, they couldn't grow much. The farmer also planted some seeds in soil that was very good. These plants grew up strong with deep roots like a healthy plant should. All right. Now, when you're a
0: child and you hear that story, it almost sounds like the farmer intentionally placed it on the path. And he intentionally placed it in the rocks. And he intentionally placed it among the thorns. But when you're older, you realize that that farmer didn't aim. He just spread it. Everywhere he went, he flung that seed everywhere. <laughs> everywhere he walked, he flung seed. And where it landed determined whether or not it was going to be a, a viable. The seed was the exact same, no matter where it fell. But the only difference is where it landed. If... A seed is to be viable. If it lands on the path and it gets eaten up, it has no chance. If it lands in the rocks, well, it looks like it might be okay at first, but then it has no roots. It doesn't take very long to see that it has no depth. And the same sun that nourishes the good seed is going to scorch the, bad, is the seeds that are in the rock with no depth. And if it is in the thorns, it seems like it has everything that it needs to survive. However, it gets distracted. Because it gets overshadowed. And those things that are around it crowd out the things that it really needs to survive. So now before you check out and say, okay, I've heard all this before. Where am I going to eat lunch? Can I beat everybody else to the buffet at Pizza Ranch? Um, I just want to invite you to look at a couple more little things about this parable that you may or may not have considered before. Um When we look at last week's parable and this week's parable and we put them together, we can really see the diversity or what I like to refer to as the messiness that happens in the church. Because when you plant seed everywhere and when you read Matthew chapter 8 and the Lord tells us, go make disciples of all nations. He doesn't say pick the ones that you like then we don't know what's going to happen.
1: Oh.
0: Sorry. My notes got messed up. And when he says go and preach the gospel through the entire world, go see sow your seeds everywhere. Don't be surprised at who shows up for baptism. Don't be surprised at who shows up for potluck because when you sow your seeds everywhere, and you preach to all nations, and you make disciples of all nations, it can get a little bit messy. Because God doesn't just plant seeds in the rows. He plants them everywhere. And it's not up to us to judge which seeds will take root and which seeds will bear fruit. It's not up to us to distinguish between the weed and the weeds. That's God's business. Because something that looks like weeds to us may not be a weed to God. What is our business, though, is the heart. Because that parable tells us that the soil is the heart, that the, our heart is the soil that that seed falls on. So do you have a willing heart? Are your heart? Is your heart hard and unyielding like the path where the birds can come in and steal it away? Is your heart shallow like the rocks? Is your heart distracted by the things of the world like the thorns? Or is your heart really fertile ground? If you read through the Bible, you'll see that there are tons and tons of references to the heart. To the heart of man. And while I was studying for this particular parable, one scripture kept coming to my mind over and over and over again. And that was in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, which says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And the King James version of that scripture says that the Lord runs through the earth and he's searching for one thing. He's looking for one thing, a specific thing, and that is a people that he can strengthen. Will that be you? Or there's another person, if you will, that's roaming to and fro if you read 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it tells us that our enemy, the devil, Satan, is roaming to and fro like a lion seeking for that which he can devour. So there's two forces that are roaming. One's God who's searching for his heart that's willing that he can strengthen, and the other one is Satan, and he's looking for something to eat. Are you going to be lunch or are you going to be a fertile heart? The choice is yours. This parable speaks directly to that condition of our heart. And we need to remember that above all else, God wants our heart to be right. And it is my prayer that we will, just like David, have a heart after God. That's one of my favorite things about David is that even though he made mistakes and even though things happened in his life that weren't right and he did things that weren't quite right, he still had a heart after God. He was a man after God's own heart. When Luke tells this parable, we, we read it first from Matthew, but when Luke tells this parable, he starts out with a little more background information. And we are told that there were 12 disciples and a group of women who were following Jesus. And that group of women were supporting the ministry. They were doing everything that it took to support that ministry. And it's kind of shocking if you know the culture because women were not allowed to be seen with men who were not their husbands in public. And so they were kind of bucking the system in order to do that. But what Luke is trying to get across to us, that regardless of your gender, your marital status, your socioeconomic status, your degree of education, your occupation, your age, your spiritual, your emotional issues, they're all irrelevant when it comes to knowing Jesus. When you follow him... What's important is that you have a heart that is fertile and receptive to God's word and that over time we preserve that heart and don't allow it to get hard. And the more I watch news on television and read the newspaper trying to figure out what's going on in this crazy world that we have, the more I realize that I love Jesus and love the Bible and want to read it a lot more than I read the newspaper. Because this, this parable is telling us that if our hearts are receptive and we grasp his word and we live it out through God's grace, that we can have an influence. Because the end of this parable says it produces a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what was planted. And that's us. That's us living it out and having an impact on our world. What would happen if we simply loved our neighbor as ourself? What would happen if we took Jesus to work with us What would happen if whatever it is that we do, whether we are retired or whether we play sports or whether we go to school or whether we do that, what would happen if we did those things with the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control that we call the fruits of the Spirit? It's not a question. You know what would happen. All of our lives would be transformed and all of our world would be transformed by God's grace. So we've looked at different soils that we've had, the four soils that we're so familiar with. We've looked at this wild method of planting where where we do that. And the Lord kept telling me, there's one more thing that I want you to look at. And so I said, okay, Lord, what what more is there? We're flinging the seed. We have good soil. What more do you want us to know? And he said, what is your seed? I was like, okay, let me read that parable again. And the Lord told me, he said, read it again. I said, all right. I read through it and I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to know? He said, read it again. And I said, okay, Lord. I read through that. He said, what do you want me to know? He said, read it again. <laughs> I said, okay, Lord, what am I missing? <laughs> After about six times... He finally figured that I was a little too dense to pick up what he was putting down. And so he just told me what he wanted me to read. He said, I want you to open your book and read Luke chapter 8 and verse 11 and start with that. And so I looked at Luke 11 and I I found this verse. It says, this is the meaning of the parable. I said, all right, we're cooking now. God's just going to tell me straight up what he means. The seed is the word of God. And I started to draw breath and read the next verse. And he stopped me dead in my tracks. And he said, that's all I want you to read. And I was like, okay. The seed is the word of God. And he whispered to me, he said, do you get it yet? (laughs) I said, "Um, yeah, God, I got it. I really got it that time. Because you see, all of my life, When I think of the Word of God, I think of this book, and I think of the whole thing, fully germinated, fully in bloom. I think of this book as a a full-grown plant, as a flower, as a love letter, as a complete thing to me, as my resource, as my guide, as as my everything. But God said, I want you to look at that a little bit differently. Do you hear me saying that the seed is the word of God so the seed is planted and it's not fully developed in me when it is planted and so I really had to take pause and think about that for a minute because with that image in mind I said am I watering my seed am I developing my seed am I giving it the sun and the nutrients that it needs? Some days the answer, unfortunately, is no. (laughs) And so the Lord really checked my spirit in that moment when he reminded me that this parable is not about planting the full-blown, fully developed Word of God into our neighbors. Sometimes it is planting the Word of God the seed of God everywhere that we go. Every encounter, every time we have an opportunity to plant the seed. And I also brought a very vivid image to my mind. And I am from South Louisiana and in South Louisiana we have beautiful, beautiful, beautiful live oak trees. And On the property where where my folks live, there are some trees that are 110, 120 years old. And they are gorgeous. And um, it reminded me when I realized that the seed of God is like an acorn. So when I think about it looking like an acorn, I look like that. And there was a young child who found an acorn that looked just like that. There were hundreds of them all over the ground. And the child asked her dad, dad, what is this, what is this, what does it do, what is it good for? Can I throw it at my brother? (laughs) Probably not the best idea, but it works real good for it. And the dad answered and he said, nope, that's an oak tree. So when you think about that and you think about an oak tree, a majestic oak tree, And I have a picture of that. They don't look very similar right away. But the young man got pretty excited. He's like, oh, my, what I'm holding in my hand is going to become that. That oak tree is going to be. And so he got excited, and he was telling every person he saw, look at my oak tree. I'm going to plant this. And it's gonna look just like that great big oak tree. And most people, of course, just smiled and nodded, just like we do when kids tell us things. Um, except one person who wasn't in the mood to listen to the childish dream of oak trees and acorns. So they spoke the truth. And he said, it Doesn't matter. You're never gonna be alive to see it get that big. And that tree is over a hundred years old. So The young man slid the acorn back into his pocket, and he went away, thinking, okay, so I don't need to plant this. And that night, his mom noticed that he was no longer excited about the acorn that he held, and she asked him what was going on. And so he told his mom, there's no use in planting that acorn because I'm never going to see it get that big. None of us who are alive right now will ever see that acorn become that tree. And so his mom took the acorn and she held it for a minute and said, no, son, you really don't understand. You have to plant this tree. This acorn needs to be planted because next year it's going to be up to your knees when you go by to it. And then in a couple of years after that, it's going to be taller than you are. And then by the time you're in high school and you start dating, it's going to be big enough that you can bring your date and have a picnic under the oak tree that you planted. And so when you have children, you can take them there and build a tree house in that oak tree and tell them, I planted this before you were born. And then when you have grandchildren, you can tell them, This is the oak tree that I planted. So you see, it really doesn't matter that we're not going to be here to see it in a hundred years. What matters is that today you hold an oak tree, a majestic, mighty oak tree in your hand. And so my question to you today what will you do with the seed that you hold in your hand? Because there's a verse in Isaiah chapter 55 that tells us, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that it goes out from my mouth. It will not return empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So what will you do with the tree that you hold in your hand? Will you plant that tree like the sower did? Will you sow your seed everywhere that you go? And will you, when you depart from this place, Make sure that your heart is the fertile soil that that tree needs to grow. Because those are our responsibilities. We get hung up in knowing the outcome and deciding what's wheat and what's wheat. We get hung up in all of those things. We get hung up in trying to not put it on the path and not put it in the rocks. Those are God's responsibilities, not ours. So my challenge to you today fling that seed everywhere everywhere you go fling the seed speak the word of God speak life into the people that you come in contact with and also check your heart when you leave from this place check your heart are you, are you fertile? are you prepared to grow God's word? are you going to be like the weeds? are you going to be like the hard soil that you can't grow in? the choice is yours you get to decide that but we are promised that the word of god will not return void let's pray father god today we are excited to be in your presence father we are humbled to know that you trust us with the seed of your word father we are we are seeking to be that soil that is right father help us to be that Help us to achieve that. Help us to, to go after that. And help us to, to plant the seed, Father. Help us to have your word on our mouth so that we can plant that seed with every encounter, every single time. Lord, be with us as we leave this place. Lord, it's in your son's most awesome and holy name that we pray. Amen. Lord, pray. Go with grace. Thank you, Lord, for the small things like me and her on a porch swing, for summer nights and fireflies and the sound of my